I, I tell a little bit of this story along the way. It was such an influential moment in my life. So you haven't heard the part of the story I'm going to tell you, but you, you, you might be familiar with 1992. In the summer, I had the privilege. I just graduated high school and got to go to Moscow and to the Ukraine, to Kiev, in what had just been the Soviet Union. You know, those of us, the teenagers, I talked to them on Wednesday night about this. You know, they're clueless to what the Cold War was and, you know, at least living through it. But what we did. And so in, uh, I guess it was 1991 or 1992, communism fell in the Soviet Union. And so in the summer of 1992, uh, a group of us got to be, we were the first Southern Baptist youth ministry to ever put boots on the ground in what was the former Soviet Union. And so that was a kind of historic trip. And we land at the airport in Moscow. And, I mean, we're excited about it. As teenagers, I mean, it was, it was a high school mission trip. And those of us just graduated were still a part of that ministry. Uh, you know, we're excited. And as we're coming off the plane, we know we're supposed to, you know, dial it back a little bit because Moscow uh, is not going to be like DFW airport or things like that. It's, we know it's going to be different. But when we walked off, it was, it was like pin drop quiet in that airport with people around, people all over the place, but no one spoke. Um, the colors were drab. I remember seeing soldiers with AK-47s standing in the airport, and you kind of walk off that plane, and you're like, okay, we're, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. This is different. You know, you could just sense it. You could feel it. And so we all come off the plane, and we start to head over to customs where we can clear, and we're, we all have, we're going to be there two weeks, we have a suitcase of our stuff, and then we've got a suitcase full of Bibles. And so uh, we, we'd already talked to the missionaries. That was one of the things they wanted us to do. We want you to bring as many Bibles as you can. So we had Russian New Testaments. I mean, you couldn't even lift those suitcases. They were just, you had to roll them or drag them. And so we're coming to the airport, and we get up to the cus. There's soldiers there again with their machine guns, and, and we have, there's an interpreter there, and, and they ask us some questions about who we are, what we're doing. And then they asked this question. They said, what do you have in your bags? And you kind of get nervous for a second, you know, because for however many decades before, Bibles have been illegal, and now you've got suitcases full. And uh, we, we were honest. We said, we have New Testaments. We have Bibles. And they said, how many do you have? Uh, 3,000 maybe, you know? Um, no, no. And these three soldiers that are staying there kind of step aside, and they huddle up. And they, they start speaking in Russian, and we're like, oh, my goodness. We're going to see the inside of Siberian prison, you know, right now. And they turn back around, and we're thinking, I really, we really thought they're going to take all, confiscate all of them right now. And they turned around, and they looked at us, and they said, may we have three? And we went, absolutely, you know, and uh, handed those Bibles. And I remember on that trip, we would take a suitcase a day, a suitcase in the morning, a suitcase in the afternoon to where we were going. I, I remember vividly, you know, you'd unzip that suitcase and get down on uh, your knees and you would just start grabbing these Bibles and just start throwing, you know, handing them out and people were just taking them out of your hands as you were going. I remember this lady walking by and trying to hand her this New Testament. She didn't know what it was. She didn't know who I was. She uh, shook me off and, and kept walking. Well, as she walked past me, there was a gentleman who had just received one of these Bibles, leaned up against the wall, and he'd already started reading it. I mean, he got it minutes before. And she walked by, and she saw the book that he was reading look like the book that I had tried to hand her. She, she stopped and looked at it and realized what it was. And by the time she got back to me, there were tears in her eyes, and she asked if she could have one, and she, could ask, she asked if she could have one for her sister. Those are life-changing moments. 
And last week, we started this series called Radical. And we're, we're going to ask you over the course of the next five weeks to make five major commitments, and they're big enough commitments that they're going to take you upwards to 15 months to finish them. And really, that is you know, probably on a lot of scales a bad idea, to ask you to do something and remember it 15 months later. Probably even a worse idea to ask a teenager to make a commitment to do something for the next 15 months. But if we're going to live as radical followers of Jesus, sometimes we have to make big decisions and sometimes we have to make hard decisions. And so last week, we journeyed through this idea that, that we need to saturate our minds with the Word of God. And if you weren't here during the course of the week, the big ask, and you can still make it today, you can make it through the course of this month if, if you, you, you need some time to think about it or if you missed it. The big ask was, would you read either your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, read it all the way through in the next 15 months to saturate your mind with the Word of God, or we've put back on the resource table some devotionals uh, that kind of go biblically, like, like this month is through 1 Samuel, just chapter by chapter. Would you commit to reading 11 of those devotionals, which would be 11 months uh, of Scripture reading to saturate your mind with the Word of God? If you go outside into the hallway to the right, we've put up a bulletin board, and it says, I've committed to reading the Word of God. And there's about 80 names up there of people that said, hey, I'm going to do that. And their name's up there, it's pinned. And 15 months from now, or whenever they finish the Scripture, whenever they finish those 11 months, we're going to turn that card over. It's got the radical logo, and we want to fill those bulletin boards with finished commitments that said, I have read the Word of God. Well, when you, when you have an experience like I did in Moscow, it makes the Word of God much more valuable to you. It makes it, it, makes it more powerful than someone telling a story when you've seen the tears in the Russian woman's eyes as she asks for one for her and for her sister who lives three hours away. Changes the way you see the Word of God. The, the same Word of God that I've got a half dozen to a dozen copies at home and in my office that I don't use because I have a couple that I use and the rest just sit there. It changes the way you see things. This morning, what we're talking about in the commitment is a commitment to missions. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. If you... You come regularly, you know, on Sunday, I set up the message for you to go all week with your students. So I teach on Sunday what our students are going to hear on Wednesday. But for this week, I've changed things. Your students actually heard this message Wednesday night. Next week, we will go back. We missed because of Clyde Impact Weekend. We were going to miss a lesson. And I'll give you kind of the, the preview of where we're going next week with our teenagers. We're going to be talking about praying for every country in the world over the next 15 months, at least once. And so that was the message that I was supposed to give to you this morning because I'm going to talk to them about that on Wednesday. But, but in reality, most of us in here would make that easy commitment. As a parent, we'd go, oh, okay, and we've got some resources to help. I'll, I'll, over the next 15 months, I can pray for every country in the world, especially if you're going to give me the resource. I don't have to, you know, Google a list of countries. You're going to give me something. I can do that. In fact, I can hit five or six a, at a time probably. You know, I can put it in my car, and, and as I get in, I'll pray for that country on my, on my way to work, and I'll pray for another country on my way home, and I'll be done well before the 15 months. That's a challenge, but it's not the challenge that I'm going to ask you to take this morning. And the flip side is true for teenagers. To go on a mission trip for a teenager, that's fun. But for us as adults, it's difficult. Because mission trips, to go someplace, it costs money. 
I mean, it just does. You have, to, you have to rent transportation or pay for the transportation you have, and you've got to get gas while you're there on site, wherever you're serving, uh, even if it's just to get there and, and to get back. You've got to pay for your place to stay. You can't sleep in the van. You've got to pay for food. You've got to, uh, if you're going someplace further away than there's a drive, you've got to pay, pay for an airplane ticket. You might have to pay for uh, travel insurance. It costs money. And if you're going to do it well, You've got to put some money in so that you're prepared to pay for the work that you're going to do. Because it really doesn't do us any good if we go someplace that has great need, a church plant or a church in the inner city, or, or we go down to the valley for a junior high mission trip, to go down there and say, hey, we would like to come serve you. Can we, can we minister to you and to your community and come alongside and partner with you? And they go, oh, man, that would be great. We really need that. And we go, okay, well, we're going to come. But we're going to need you to buy you know, $2,000 worth of supplies for us to work. That doesn't help the people that you're coming to help. Last year, we went to uh, our high school and junior highs both went down to the valley. Our junior highs have been going down there for 14 years or so, teaching a VBS at Primera Iglesia down in Mission. We have a great partnership with them. We took our high schoolers down so that they could be a part of the lives of their junior highs and had some other jobs for them. Well, one of the jobs that they were supposed to do was to do a vacation Bible school where Primera Iglesia is going to be moving to. And they said, we would like you to go ahead and go where we're moving to next year, start getting our name out so that when you guys come next year, people know who you are. We've got the school that we're going to be meeting in. You can do it there. And so I said, okay, great, but this is going to be kind of pioneering. We've never been in that neighborhood. We don't know how many kids there are. And so I pulled out 20 high schoolers to lead that vacation Bible school. But I told our pastor down there in the, in the valley, our contact, I said, we're going to need some backup jobs, some kind of emergency jobs, because if I send 20 high schoolers out and 10 children come from the neighborhood, that's, it's not going to work. I, I can't, there's just way too many high schoolers sitting there. They'll be bored out of their minds. So we need some things that could be done, that don't have to be done, that we can pull the trigger on. He said, okay, got it. Uh, the library at the school where you're meeting, uh, they need uh, stuff redone inside the library. And then if you get done with that, the gym needs to be repainted. I said, okay. So it doesn't have to be done, but if you get to it, great. Fantastic plan. We get down there Monday morning. We take 20 kids out to the site. Ten children show up. And so I call him. And I go, okay, hey, we need to get in the library. And he says, oh, we can't get into the library anymore. That project dropped off the list. And I said, okay, well then, I need to run and get paint because we're going to start on that gym, those gym walls, because we've got way too many high schoolers for kids. He said, oh, they just redid the gym floors, and so you can't be in there all week long. Well, luckily, I had looked on the Valley Baptist Mission website where churches put up needs that they have, and I had seen, as I was just scanning it, that Conway Avenue Baptist Church needed their building painted. I've driven by Conway Avenue Baptist Church Every year. It's, I mean, we go by it multiple times because we, we drive on Conway Avenue. And so I knew it's, a, it, it's, a, it's an older church. The palm trees make it look, you know, real beautiful. And it's not, it's not a bad church, but it's just older. And uh, I went, not, rang their doorbell because they lock up, and the, the administrative assistant came, and I told her who I was and what I wanted to do. And she said, well, let me take you and talk to the executive pastor. So I go in and meet him. I explain everything that's happened. I got this group. We've got way too many than we need. I saw on your site that you needed your, your building painted, and we were looking, we're looking for an emergency site. Um, could we paint your building? And he said, man, that would be, man, that'd be great. We, we really do need that. And he said, well, he said, come with me. Let me look and see kind of where, what rooms we could do. And he said, I'll just be honest with you. I just, I don't know how much paint we have. Um, 
or if, we'll, if we can even get it right now, kind of at late notice. And I said, well, here's the deal. And I told him when I got there, it was like 9.30. I said, I was going to be back at lunch. We'd start painting at lunch. I said, the reason why I need from 9.30 to lunch is because I've got to go get kids. And we're prepared to buy all of the paint and all the stuff. We're going to do it for you. And I mean, you talk about eyes widening. He was like, oh, well, in that case, this room and this room. I mean, he was just super excited. And we able, it was able to come in. And, you know, environments matter when someone walks in to a, a church or a place. If you walk in and it smells like 1970s church and the paint looks like 1970s church, if you're a visitor, you walk in, you go, ah, I don't know. So we were able to change that environment for the church. Not only that, but it encouraged the people of that church to have other believers who came and said, hey, we will invest in you because we believe in the gospel work that you're doing here, and we want to see you succeed. I mean, they were coming up and bringing us dinner and lunch and drinks. and coming up. Their teenagers came up to help us paint once they caught word of it, and, and so we got to hang out with them. It was a game changer. But the reason why we were able to do that is because we had charged students enough to have some money to go buy paint and go to Home Depot and get everything we needed. It's expensive. I mean, it just costs a lot to do missions. And, and because of that, often as parents, we go, well, I'll send my child. It's a youth ministry event anyway. But it also costs time. I mean, if you have two weeks vacation, when are you going to go? I mean, you got Christmas and Thanksgiving. you got some days off, but you, you're going to package some of your vacation around that so you can make the trip to see the family. If you're going to take a week's vacation as a family, man, that's, half of it's already gone. When, when are you supposed to go on a mission trip when you only have two weeks vacation? That is a, a difficult question to answer, and, and nobody's pretending that it's not. The other thing is it's, it's difficult because mission trips cause us to have to be selfless instead of selfish. And you're thinking about spending money, and you're thinking about taking a day, a, a week off of vacation, and then somebody says, yeah, pack an air mattress because we're sleeping on the floor in a gym because we're trying to save money so we can put money into the resources for that church. And, and, and you have this thought, why in the world do I take vacation to sleep on a gym floor and pay money? It makes absolutely no sense. You have to be selfless. Sometimes Sometimes it works out. We went to Oceanside a few years ago. This was, the, this was the, the resort we stayed in on our mission trip because it was the cheapest place we could find. What, what, what you can't tell here, because this is what they're, they're packaging now, is they were remodeling everything in this resort, and so they weren't booking people because they were redoing everything. And so when we called and said, hey, I'd like, you know, 10 rooms or, you know, eight rooms, and I'm looking for a cheap price and tell them what they were doing, they cut us a deal. But I remember walking in, and uh, I slept on the fold-out couch in the living room, and I folded out the couch and had a big armoire. I mean, it was real beautiful, and I went to open it up to turn on the TV, and I opened it up. There's no TV there. You know, it was just, you know, empty. It was, that, it was, it was mission trip living, even though it looked like that. Well, we went back a couple years later and called and said, hey, we stayed looking for it. You want to give us that deal? It had gone up 10 times what we had paid, and I was like, okay, floor at the church then. That'll, that'll work, and so we did. We went from that because it was the cheapest place, selfless living, right, to sleeping on a gym floor or sleeping on a floor on air mattresses with all the guys in one room, with a couple of guys that snore and it's inconvenient for everybody, and then girls in another room, and there are 40 to 50 of us, and we shared two showers, and then one of them broke. That's mission trip living. And adults go, why? You want me to take a week's vacation off and pay money to go live in that experience. There are some mission trips that aren't that way. That's youth ministry mission trips. Sometimes our adult mission trips stay in hotels. 
And you might consider that, but I will tell you this too. I had one of our former youth ministers that uh, went on an adult trip. And he came back and he said, I will never go on an adult trip ever again. And he's a youth ministry person. He's like, I'm youth ministry all the way. And I said, I said, why? And he said, because adults complain way more than teenagers do. Adults were complaining about the hotel we were staying in. And I'm thinking, I'm in a hotel. Like, you know, I'm not on an air mattress. And I mean, this is great. He said, they, they, they complain about, you know, there's no Starbucks nearby in the morning to get to where they're going. And he said, it's just, it's a whole nother world because for us as adults, it's harder for us to be selfless because we've put in the money and we've taken out the vacation. And because of the investment, we expect the return. But the return doesn't come in where you stay or what you eat. The return comes in what the Spirit of God does in you and through you. So mission trips are hard. There is no doubt about that. But there are 4.5 billion people on this planet right now that do not have a relationship with Jesus. 4.5 billion people that if something doesn't change in their lifetime will spend eternity forever apart from the Creator in a place that the Bible calls hell and describes it in in terms that make us not want to be there. A billion of those 4.5 billion have never even heard the name Jesus. That should bother us. That should concern us. I mean, I dare say it should deeply grieve us that 4.5 billion people may spend eternity in hell. And so, as we look at Acts chapter 1, I want us to kind of resonate with this and told your teenagers this on Wednesday. Because the nations matter to Jesus, the nations have to matter to me. Because Jesus is concerned about America and our families and our community, yes. But he's also concerned about the people who live in Ecuador and the Dominican Republic and the former Soviet Union, Russia, the Ukraine, all of those states. He's concerned and loves people in China because the nations matter to Jesus. They've got to matter to me. Once you go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to pick up a little bit of the beginning of Acts where the church is going to explode. And you're going to see the church, if you read through Acts, how the church started. But before that, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, gives us the last few moments with Jesus. You would think it would come at the end of the Gospel of Luke, but he puts it at the, at the beginning of Acts. And so Jesus has died on the cross. He's been resurrected, and he's about to ascend into heaven. He's about to disappear in front of the disciples' eyes. And in verse 6, it says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now understand this. The, those people had grown up in Israel. They loved their country. They loved Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. It was the city of God. Jerusalem was the place that all spiritual things centered for the Jewish person. And so as Jesus is about to ascend, they're concerned about their city, about their country. And they go, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Verse 8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I love what happens next. I wish I could have been there. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. I mean, he literally just rose in the air into a cloud and disappeared as the disciples are watching this. And then to me, it's almost humorous in verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Two angels show up and said, men of Galilee, 
why do you stand looking into heaven? I mean, that's kind of a dumb question, right? (laughs) Because I'm watching someone, Jesus, rise into heaven. That's why I'm watching. I've never seen this. And they said, this Jesus who has taken you up from, taken, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You know what they're saying? Hey, why are you standing here looking? You were given a task. You were given a job. It's time to stop watching Jesus rise, and it's time to start going to the nations because that's the last thing that he told you to do. Now, if you go to the book of Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew says something very similar. But here's what's very interesting. Matthew is a Jewish person, um, and his gospel to Matthew was written to Jewish people. So it's a Jew writing to Jews about Jesus. And so he, he tells stories that are very significant to people of the Jewish way of thinking. But in Matthew chapter 28, you don't have to flip there. We'll put the verses up there. You can stay in Acts 1 because we're going to come back to that. This is what Matthew records that Jesus said, and he wants the Jewish followers to know, that Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is right when Jesus has died and resurrected when he says this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew, a Jew, writing to a Jewish audience who their entire life and all the generations before them have seen Jerusalem as the center of all religious ideology. This is the city of God. If anything matters in religion, it's going to happen right here. And yet Matthew the Jew tells the Jewish audience, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That was was radical thinking for them. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. That, that's, that, that you're to lead people to faith in Jesus and then baptize them or immerse them. That's the first step that happens. This is just a side message. If you've never been baptized, that's the first thing that Jesus requires his disciples to do as they go in the nations, introduce people to Jesus and baptize them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to have done that. And then teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So we're going to share the gospel with people, lead them into a relationship with Jesus, and then not only that, but then teach them what it means to walk the life of a follower of Jesus. And who does he send the Jews to? He says to all nations. Now that shouldn't have been confusing. That shouldn't have been mind-numbing to a Jew because from the very beginning, Father Abraham, Father Abraham was going to be a father of many nations, plural, I mean, throughout the Old Testament, we see that the, that the plan of God was not just for the Jews. It was for the Jews to take that, the, the love of God and spread it to the nations. That's what Abraham was going to be able to do. Even in First Chronicles, you see uh, this verse is just one of, of hundreds in the Scripture. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. This is Jewish people singing. Declare his glory among the nations. I mean, it's an Old Testament concept that Jesus just kind of gives the uh, significant punch to as he's about to leave and says, guys, go. You've got to go to the nations. And look, what he, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1 to kind of see the, the plan he lines out, or the, uh, the strategic picture he gives us. Look in verse 8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, that makes sense. Jerusalem was home. Here's a map of <coughs> what the world looked like in those days. And so I'll use this big one. So here's Jerusalem right here. We're going to put a white circle on it. 
And, and so Jesus said, hey, you need, to, you need to start at home. So when we talk about mission trips and things like that, we've got to go. But, not, but, but that doesn't mean that we don't start at home. And that's what Jesus said, start in Jerusalem. That's, you're going to tell the people that live in Jerusalem about the truth. You're, you're going to tell them who I am, and you're going to show how, how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. You start at home. One of the dangerous things for teenagers, because they will go on trips, is you have teenagers that will go to places like Poland and Brazil and Oceanside, California. And we take 40 people to Poland at an expense of $2,300. And they'll spend six months planning and reading a book and learning how to pray for an hour and go. And then when it comes time for Collide Impact Weekend, it's $35 and one day, two days, home at $120? Something's, something's a little crazy there. The 40 people will, will spend the, the money and go but when it comes time to, to serve at home, we, we have kids that they go on mission trips and that, that go, ah, yeah, I can't take off work for that. I'm too busy for that. I'm going to wait and see what else comes up because it's not a trip. And a disciple, a follower of Jesus, has to do ministry at home, in their neighborhood, in their schools, through their church. It starts in Jerusalem. And what happens is we run the danger of being a Christian tourist. And what a Christian tourist is, is goes, hey, you know what? I'd like to see the world and I'd like to go places in the name of Jesus. And while I'm there, I'll serve. And I'm going to do some things while I'm there and I'm going to help people and love people. But my primary emphasis is not about kingdom of God work in the place I'm going. My primary emphasis is about being able to go on a trip and have an experience. And then when it comes time to serve at home, you see it unravel. Because going home to serve, there's no experience there. It's not a tourist destination. I've already been there. And so what you see is students who go, man, the heart of God and what he's doing in the kingdom is a primary passion in my life. I'll go to Poland, China. I'll go to South America. I'll go to South Africa. I'll go home. I'll go wherever because I want to see the kingdom of God advance and people come to know Jesus. And I have, a trip, I have a chance to tell people about Jesus, to serve people home. I'll do that there because the kingdom of God is my priority. The Christian tourist goes, I love Jesus because I'm a Christian, and I want to experience Jesus, and I want to help people, but I really love the trip. And I love the experience that I'm getting out of it. But there's no experience here. Already been there, been there done that. And so we run that danger, and that's why it's vitally important for us to make home a priority for our missions. Now, the commitment I'm going to ask you to do is to go to leave home. But I want us to, before we make that commitment, to remember that home is important. Jesus says this next. He says, you're going to uh, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in all Judea. Can you go back one so we can just see real quick? Hit back once. So Judea is, this, is, the, is Israel. Judea is the southern kingdom. And so there's, there's the city in which we are, and there's the, the region, the country of the state. If Jesus had, had done his work here and was ascending, he would probably said something like this to us. You're going to be my witnesses in Georgetown or Liberty Hill or Gerald or Round Rock or wherever you, wherever you live, Leander. You're going, to, you're going to be my witness in Georgetown and then in Texas or in the United States. It's easy for us to go on a mission trip in Texas. I mean, our high schoolers will go here in a little bit to uh, Dallas. It's going to be a three-hour drive. It's not difficult. Uh, even in the world we live in, getting to Poland, 
not that difficult. It's a long, it takes a day but, and flying and you know, that stuff, but you, you get there. But you're talking about a time where travel was a great difficulty. And yet Jesus said, you're going to go and it's going to be inconvenient, but you're going to go to your city and you're going to go to your region or your state or your country. And then he says, you're going to go to Samaria, which Samaria is just north, this blue country. Now, one of two things could happen. Jesus could have meant that we're just going to expand forward, like the next circle will show, you know, cover Samaria, that we, Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria. Or he might have been making a point of who the Samaritans were, and I think it was both and. See, the Samaritans were people that were half Jew, half Gentile. Gentiles were anybody that wasn't Jewish. And that was very much frowned upon by Jews. And so in, in the status, there was like Jews, dogs, and then Samaritans kind of right below them. Jews didn't want anything to do with Samaritans. They didn't talk to them. They would walk around them. When they traveled from country to country, many Jews would go around the borders of Samaria just to not walk through the country. And Jesus says, you're going to go to them. You're going to go to the people that you don't like. Jesus was saying it to us today. He might say, you're going to be a missionary to radical Islamists. You're going to go into Muslim countries where they want to kill you because of who you are and what you believe. But because the nations matter to me, the nations are going to matter to you, and you're going to go places that are scary. David Biles, a missionary in Turkey, he's been there for years, loves Muslims. In 2007, he was talking to Muslims on the street, telling about Jesus, and the police came and they arrested him. And they said, you, what you're doing is illegal. You cannot talk about Jesus. And they arrested him for uh, aggressive missionary endeavors and for disturbing the peace was what they charged him with. Even though people around said he is the most mild-mannered, he's not, a, he's not disturbing the peace, he just talking about Jesus disturbed the peace. So he sat in jail for a couple of days. They finally came back and realized we're not going to be able to make these, the, these uh, crimes stick because we don't have really the evidence. He really didn't disturb the peace. So they said, we're going to let you go, but, but you are going to have to sign this document that says that you will get, a, uh, you will get approval from the government uh, before you do this again. And he thought, well, that's odd. It, they arrest me because it's illegal, but now I have to get approval from the government to do it, but okay. And he tried to get approval and never, never would get response for anything. He went back to doing what he did. 2009, he was arrested again. In 2010, at 10.30 in the evening, two police officers came to his door, knocked on his door. When he opened the door, they took him and said, you're being deported, and took him and put him in jail for a couple of days as they were trying to deport him at 10.30 at night. His lawyer got that all worked out, and he didn't get deported. He got arrested again this year. This was after, I don't know if it was his house or one of his storage buildings, something, uh, they tried to burn all the Bibles that he had. He was a victim of arson, could have taken his life. Arrested four times, stuff burned on purpose in arson. He's finally out of jail again, and he's still loving Muslims. I mean, most of us would have gone, okay. Three strikes and you're out. I've been arrested three times. I'm out. I'm going to go someplace where people care. I'm not going to keep risking my family or risking uh, some, having a lawyer that doesn't get me out of jail one time. I end up in a Turkish prison for the rest of my life. A lot of people are just going, okay, you know, like I'm tapping out. I'm gone. But because the nations matter to Jesus, the nations matter to David Biles. And he wants to love Muslims towards Jesus. It's his Samaria. It's our Samaria. And then Jesus says it's Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria, and then the outermost parts of the earth. We're to go. It's pretty clear. We're, we're to take the expense, to take the vacation, to go and do. So let me give you a couple of thoughts. One is this. 
applications, if you will. We've got to serve our Jerusalem as families, as parents. We can't just, as moms and dads, expect our, our children, our teenagers, to go be the missionary endeavors for our family. Because they'll go because it's a youth ministry trip and it's fun. But it really begins to stick and it becomes important when it's important to you as a family. I mean, when you walk into our house, we have our values for our family up on the wall. And one of those is that we value missions and going to the world. And, and I've had to come to grips with this reality. That God may one day call my children to another country vocationally. When I was a young person, before I was married with kids, that sounded like a fantastic idea. And I could look at parents and go, there is no greater joy for a parent than have your teenagers or grow up to be young adults who take the gospel to the world. Well, now I've got two of my own, and I'm not as, you know, gung-ho about it, you know, from a parental side, right? I mean, I get that. Because what that means is if my kids move to India, that means I'm spending Christmas alone. I mean, hopefully Amanda will be there. I mean, we'll be alone. If my children go to the world, they're not going to be able to come back for Thanksgiving. They're not going to come back for Mother's Day. Mother's Day lunch is going to be like, we're going to be calling some of y'all going, hey, can we go with y'all because we don't have anybody to go with. You know, that kind of sucks, right? I mean, in, in a way, I, I get that. But I do believe still that because Jesus has a heart for the nations that we have to as well. And if God calls my children to go to the world, and if they go to the world, and the worst possible scenario happens, they give their life for the gospel in another country. As difficult as that is as a parent, what I know and what I always remind myself is that there's 80 years here and there's an eternity there. And in the grand scheme of things, God did not give me children in order to protect them. God did not give me children in order to raise them up so that when I'm in a nursing home one day, I have people to come visit me. That, that is not the plan of Scripture. God gave me children so that I could raise them up to be followers of Jesus, and followers of Jesus go to the world, to the outermost parts of the earth. Now, God may not call my children there. He may call them to be a dentist or a teacher or something like that here in Georgetown, Texas, and, and they may live next door to me for the rest of their lives. Fantastic. Whatever God calls of them, I want them to do. But I have to be ready to know that they could go to the ends of the earth. And you know what I want them to see? I want them to see moms and dads who are willing to do that as well. Both of my children, when they turn freshman in high school, Rayleigh will go to the Dominican Republic with me to meet the, the, the child that she's been sponsoring through World Vision. And when Emerson goes into freshman year, she and I will fly to Peru and meet the child that she's been sponsoring. Why? Because I want God to impact their hearts and let them see how much he cares for the nations. And so we've been working a discipleship plan where we plant, pray for some girls and support some girls through World Vision, but that will not be enough because we're going to go so they can see what God has been doing through their availability. And I pray that it changes their life. But we start at home. So if you can't go with a whole family on a foreign mission trip, that's understandable. If you have a family of four and you went to Poland with us, that would have been $10,000. I mean, who, I, I don't have that. You probably don't either. But you can go here. You can go to Jill's house down at Camp Buckner and take a weekend as a family and go serve children with special needs. You can go all over. You can go to the soup kitchen and serve. You can go down and do something for the homeless in Austin. 
You can go volunteer at the caring place, the Salvation Army. There's things we can do at home. But here's the challenge. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And it's the second thing. Leave home. So that's the commitment. That's the big radical decision. And I could have given you the, the, the message about praying for the countries, but you know what? I assume you will. And I hope my assumption's right. I hope that that's a no-brainer. There's a parent, you go, you know what? Even as a family, we will pray for the nations. We'll put some things on the, on the table around the house and we'll pray. We'll put seven countries up during the week. And, and so our, our family's praying for those seven countries all week long. That's easy. But I wanted you to be challenged with the word of God that says, God, it requires you to go. And he will bless you and change you when you do. So here's how that commitment's made. I, we made a website, fbcgt.org slash Radical Mission. I would love for you to get your phone out right now and say, you know what, I will go there and I will make this commitment to figure out it will be difficult. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me vacation. But you know what? If you get two weeks vacation for the next 40 years of your life, that's 80 weeks of vacation, you can use one of those in the next 15 months to go. And you go, well, I got, we've got Christmas and we've got family and we've got uh, those days. Well, great. Where does your family live? Your family lives in Dallas? Well, hey, why don't you go up and visit your family during Christmas or Thanksgiving, and between now and then, figure out a way that while you're on vacation there, that not just you and your children that live in your home, but the extended family you're going to visit can go serve in a homeless shelter in Dallas by where they live. And do it as a family. Do it as a part of your vacation. All you've got to do is be a little bit creative, but you can go and do. And here's what I, here's what I know. If you make that commitment... You're not going to come back to me at the end of 15 months and go, man, that was a waste of time and waste of finances. In fact, as best I can, I have money, I have mission money set aside for things. If you go on mission and you come back and say, God did not do anything in my life, I will do the very best I can. This is going to be recorded. You can come back and show. If there is money in that designated missions account, I will refund your money because I'm not going to have to. Because when God calls us to go, God is going to be there and we're going to experience him. So that's the challenge. I, I don't know what happened. I'll be very honest. I don't know what happened. On Wednesday night, in there like seven kids that said, I'll go on mission. Makes no sense to me because there's already nine signed up for the high school mission trip. I mean, they're, they're already going. I mean, that is, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. Sent out a text. I don't know where it is now just to remind them. But you know what we need? parents who go home and say to their kids, we're going. And I don't know from a church perspective, if you make this commitment, we're going to send you emails, we're going to send you texts along the way to remind you. And when we have church mission trips going, we're going to send you the information about it. Here's some things. We're going to be working on some things for us. I've got a lead, not just with Jill's house, but there's a camp up in um, the Dallas area, I believe, that's a week-long camp for children with special needs. Uh, that works with Joni and friends who were helping us start our special needs ministry. That might be a thing that you as a family go to and you spend a week at camp there and, and serve and love people and then talk with your kids about what God is doing in their life through that. So there it is, Radical Mission. I think, David, is there places to sign up on the back? If you don't have a phone with you, you can sign up on the back table. I put up the Radical Bible as well. If you weren't here last week and you go, hey, I'm gonna make the two commitments I am going to go on a mission trip of some sort. It doesn't have to be a foreign mission trip. We're just saying leave the city. You might go to Dallas. You might go to Austin. We're saying leave the city to go serve. 
you may not even be able to do it through the church. You may have to do it on your own and figure some things out. I can help you find resources. That if you go, hey, the church doesn't have any time that we can go, I'll help you find some places that will take families on mission trip and connect you with them, and you can go and, and sign up yourselves. Those two things. If you want to read the Bible, it's at fbcgt.org slash Radical Bible and then Radical Mission. I want to close with this quote, and I'm going to read it to you because I just don't, I don't want to do it injustice. David Platt used to be the pastor of the Church of Brook Hills. He's now the president of the International Mission Board. And he says this in his book, Radical. He said, I remember when I was first preparing to go to Sudan, a nation impoverished by years of civil war. The trip was going to cost me around $3,000. It wasn't easy to travel into Sudan, and since they were still at war, we would have to charter a plane and spend a few extra days to make that happen. I remember one day a lady in the church coming up to me and asking, why don't you just send $3,000 to the people of Sudan? Wouldn't that be a better use of the money than you spending a week and a half with them? Think of how far that money could go. I wrestled with that question. Was I wasting these funds in order to go when I could simply give the money instead? Should I even be going? I continued wrestling with that question until I got to Sudan. There I had a conversation with Andrew that shed some light on the question. Andrew was sharing about his life in Sudan over the last 20 years. He had known war since he was born, and he described the facets of the suffering and persecution his people had been through. He told me about the various groups, most of them secular government organizations, who had brought supplies to them during that time, and he expressed thanks to the generosity of so many people. But then he looked at me and asked, even in light of all these things that people have given us, do you want to know how you can tell who a true brother is? I leaned forward and asked, how? And he responded, a true brother comes to be with you in your time of need. Then he looked me in the eye and said, David, you are a true brother. Thank you for coming to be with us. Tears welled up in my eyes as the reality of the gospel hit home with me in an entirely new way. I was immediately reminded that when God chose to bring salvation to you and me, he did not send gold or silver, cash or check. He sent himself, the son. I was convicted for even considering that I should give money instead of actually coming to Sudan. How will I ever show the gospel to the world if all I send is money? Was I really so shallow as to think that my money is the answer to the needs of this world? It's a great picture, a great analogy, that our deepest need was met, not by a gift, but by a person. And there, ah, man, I know this is the biggest ask. Even reading the Bible through in a year, as daunting as that is, or 15 months, as difficult as that may be, it's probably not as big a challenge as going. It's going to cost you more. But it's what God's called us to do. And I think we have to ask us the question, can I really be a disciple? Can I really follow Jesus? If before he left Matthew's record and before he left Luke's record, the thing that Jesus told us was to go to the nations. As a follower of Jesus, how can we continue to sit in church, taking notes, reading our Bible, maybe even tithing, when there's angels all around us looking at us going, why are you staring off as he ascends? Go and do what he said. Your life and your family, I promise you, will be changed. I'm going to pray for us give you a few minutes. You can talk through this. You may or may not get to the questions. Uh, they're week two. But maybe you just 
Maybe just ask, answer this question in your small group. What are the number top two reasons that would keep me from going on a mission trip? Maybe those are the two questions you talk through and challenge each other with. Let me pray for us.